0: Welcome to the Impact Learning Visionaries podcast, where we celebrate the unsung heroes of the learning and development industry. As always, we'll be bringing some laughter and a bit of fun along the way, but more importantly, you'll get some incredible insights, key lessons, and unique perspectives on everything related and possibly unrelated to training and development. Let's get this show on the road. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Impact Learning Visionaries podcast. Today we have with us Louise Campbell, who heads up the learning and development at Robert Walters. She's uh, which who are a world leading specialist recruitment agency, and Louise has twenty years of experience uh, in the in her field um, and has built a lot of forward thinking, goal oriented, and people centric cultures within an organisation. And Louise also has she's a very firm advocate. For soft skills training with communication at the forefront of every individual success. She's passionate about upskilling and developing teams as early as possible so that they have the lifelong skills that will equip them to tackle the ever-changing challenges the future of work throws at them. Welcome Louise.
1: Thank you Jason, delighted to be here.
0: So I I guess the the first big question is um, uh, being, being at the at almost the start of most people's journeys in their career and and whether it's at the early stage of their career or whether it's at the late stage of their career, I think you have a kind of a unique view on the emerging and changing um, skills that people need to kind of be Know, relevant in their jobs today you're kind of getting a sense of it from both sides from the from the candidate side who needs to find a job and make sure they have the relevant skills and from the from the employer's side who's who's looking for these new sets of skills have, can mm. you tell us a little bit about you know some of those insights and some of the emerging t- trends that you're seeing in the space
1: yeah it's it's interesting actually jason because i've i've been in the world of recruitment now for for just over 25 years um, And what I would say is that these things come in in kind of peaks and troughs. Clients look for certain skills. Now, typically the ones that change are the the ones within tech, Um, you know, so it's certain packages, it's fluency in certain languages um, on the tech side. Uh, it's, It's the next new big thing. So clients will come to us as a recruitment firm and say, I'm looking for X, Y, Z. What remains a constant is the people skills, it's the people who can communicate well, it's the people who are able to work within a team, it's the people who can you know, look at problems and solve them and work well under pressure, etc. So although I would say there is there is always a movement and there is always this kind of big um, push towards learning new skills and, and working towards the next big thing and the next big source of demand, whether it be coming from our clients or our candidates. I think that some things remain really constant over time.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's I, I, I completely agree with that. I I think what what I'm observing is more the the awareness of the significance of these skills on on both sides. You know, I, I think historically, um, companies would say, you know, we really need those strong technical skills, or we we really mm. need those vocational skills, and. And then somewhere in the in the kind of of employees journey they would go oh, you, you know you know th- you're definitely lacking in this area you know, often in some performance review where some manager was you know looking for something to kind of give us mm. critical feedback whereas whereas now i'm starting to kind of see that it's 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 more of a demand at the kind of of cold face where where previously the dominating skills were things like you know you've got to know that programming language or you've you've got to know this accounting system however now what we're starting to see is is in this kind of future world of work um people are starting to to kind of acknowledge the significance and importance of a lot of these skills like you know that you mentioned like critical thinking and problem solving and empathy and um, customer experience. So all of these kind of skills, I think, are becoming more visible and um, and, and there's this growing understanding of their relevance in organizations. Are you, are you seeing that play
1: out? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, post COVID, Jason, we, we witnessed a real shift in what clients were looking for um, in, in the sense that the people who they were looking for the the personalities and the characters that they were looking for specifically in leadership roles took on a whole new persona when it came to the softer skills so you're looking at a hybrid world where you've got some people you know based in the office some people based at home and you you know most of our clients are looking for leaders who have exceptional communication skills because that's a whole new skill set that a lot of people don't necessarily have and certainly didn't have pre-COVID, where they were able to manage groups of remote people, groups of people who were in the office, whatever that might be. So we, we, we've got that, that's a skill set in itself. Then you are looking for people who have the ability to keep your employee engaged. You know, post-COVID again, people are working from home. What differentiates one company from another when I'm sitting in my bedroom, working away on my laptop? Um, you know, what, how do I feel aligned to a particular organisation? What, what What is my purpose when I'm working for these people? So, you know, as an organisation, you want to be able to hire leaders and managers and people leaders who are able to define that and define it very clearly, know what a company's EVP is and really get people engaged, which is a difficult thing to do when half your staff are working remotely. Um, and 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 to find that point of differentiation and to inspire people to, you know, to want to do their job. So I think that so that you, is you a huge. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Karen. No, go ahead. I, I was going to say you you yeah.
0: mentioned a uh, uh, acronym EVP, which I uh, is oh. employee value proposition. Correct.
1: Yes. Correct. Can you maybe Correct. just
0: elaborate a little bit on on what that what that specifically means and and why it's such an important metric in 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 this kind of context?
1: Yeah, I think I think you know a company's EVP, particularly in this day and age, is really important because it defines for employees why do I want to work there? Why do I want to work for this company? What what do they offer? What is their purpose? What are the, the values that they hold? What is their culture within? And their value proposition of what they can offer me as somebody who wants to work there. Um, it is incredibly important to be able to differentiate that now, because as I said, if you're sitting at home working at your kitchen table, um, What is going to make you feel really passionate about the job that you do if you're working for one pharma company or another or one tech firm or another? It's really important to be able to say the reason why I work for this business and the reason why I'm engaged and feel aligned to the values and the purpose of this company, you know, is because there's something specifically there that's talking to me and that speaks to me and that that I can align myself with. And I think if companies don't have that, they're really missing out. Um, You know, and, and from working in recruitment for the past 20 years, again, it's peaks and troughs, it's supply and demand. You know, there'll be times when the market is very candidate short and clients will be really competing and really selling themselves in order to get the best talent out there on the market. And then there'll be times where the market is awash of candidates and clients sometimes sit back and think, I don't really need to sell myself because I can have the, my pick and choose choice of, of candidates that are out there. And I always think you're really missing a trick unless you have a definitive EVP, which you as an employer are going out to the market and saying, this is us, this is what makes us different, and this is what we stand for. And it now, particularly, I think with the younger generation, that is that is a key deciding factor in where they want to work
0: uh yeah i mean i I couldn't agree more and i think even even in those very very rare moments which which i think have been far and few between where there are a surplus of skilled candidates in the market Mm. you you still need that value that clear value proposition you know because everybody is is competing for the best and brightest and exactly um, yeah and it's an expensive it's an expensive exercise or maybe an expensive lesson would be a, a better Kind of word to use of bringing the wrong people into your organization, not only those lacking the skills that we've talked about, but those those kind of lacking the passion for the vision of the company or, or misaligning with that vision.
1: Absolutely. And again, as I said, when when we look at feedback from new starters across the globe, um, what, and when we say to them what is really important to you why did you come and work with our business and you know there's four four and a half thousand of us across the globe people will say you know what what differentiates us from an, another business in our field it it is things in our evp like our esg our, our dni values our you know uh, the, the, these things that 10 years ago 20 years ago when i was looking for a job i didn't ask about any ESG policies it certainly wasn't something I was interested in Um, or you know any diversity and inclusion now this is really important to people and people want to come to a workplace where you know they feel heard where they feel as if there's a a level of psychologically logical safety where they feel accepted where our environmental policies are important etc so all of that really kind of forms the, the the part of the EVP that is that is really important to to the
0: majority of job seekers these days. So I guess I'm kind of moving on from there is, is your role has, I mean, essentially kind of changed from, as you said, like you, before the, before we started chatting from a kind of a managing director role to, to more recently a learning and development role. It's, it's an interesting kind of, of trajectory. I'm, I'm curious to know how did you go from the one to the other and, and, and what were some of the kind of elements that, that took you on that journey?
1: It's funny actually, a lot of people ask me that and for me it was a really natural progression and I, I'll try and explain to you in a, in a concise manner. So 18 years as, as managing director of the Irish office, uh, grew the Irish business um, and was, was really overseeing all aspects of the business. What I found, and I've, I've thought about this a lot, what I found brought me the most success in my previous role was number one hiring the right people, and number two making sure I gave them the skill set. Once they came in the door, I, I I trained them well enough to be successful in their role. And I think if you speak to any MD and you say to them, you know, what makes your job easy? It's hiring great right people. What makes your job difficult? It's when the people don't work out. So, it, for me, it was a very simple thing. If if I get this part of my job right. I'm going to achieve success in that in that part of the role. And it was a part of the job I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed watching people coming into the business and making sure that we had this, you know, somewhat slick pathway for training them up so that I could impart my knowledge and my senior management's knowledge to new starters really quickly to make sure that they got up and running and became successful. And I think the one thing that used to keep me awake at night was. If people ever left our business and if I felt as if they didn't have every opportunity to succeed while they were with us because maybe it was a bad quarter it was a busy quarter we didn't put enough time and investment into them I would know that and I didn't like that when you know when people didn't work out and I was would always think to myself you know we we could have done that little bit more so it was always something that I loved doing and something I was really interested in and then You know, two years ago, I I got approached um, by our chief people officer um, and our CEO who who said, look, there's there's a bigger job where, you know, we would be looking at somebody to, to take over learning and development. And I thought about it for a while. And my first reaction was why would I go from kind of managing a business into something quite specific that I really don't know an awful lot about in the sense that I don't have a background in, in l and then I thought about it and I said you know what I love doing this this gives me an opportunity to work with all of our employees across the globe um, it's a huge opportunity I, I love the global f- um, feature in our business I love working with people on an international level, I like dealing with international colleagues. I'm interested in the nuances between the cultures in different offices. And I thought to myself, this is a really good opportunity to take my skill set geographically into a, a bigger environment. And it was also time to move on from my previous job because the, I had a successor who had been very patiently sitting there, uh, who was well able to take over from me. <laughs>
0: So I would, I, would, I mean, it, it sounds like you didn't take on a new position more so than you scaled out something that you were really passionate about and seemed to be doing really well.
1: Well, that, that was part of it. And that's what I initially naively mm. thought that I could do. I thought I'll just take what I know <laughs> and, and bring it across the globe. And then um, it, it was, it's been a really interesting 18 months because what within Robert Walters, Even though we've never had a centralised L&D function, we have Mm. really good people in pretty much every single office across the globe who have been doing a version of what I was doing. So, you know, my what I initially thought would be a three month kind of, you know, under the bonnet audit of what was going on across the globe turned out to be something much bigger when I realised there were lots of people doing this. And as a result my next challenge really was looking at how do I take the best of all of these things and create a, a kind of an LD proposition which is globally fit for purpose which is aligned with all of the different cultural nuances across the globe because even though you know recruitment is recruitment there is a different way of recruiting in new york than there would be in singapore uh, than there would be in london or, or paris um, that the process might be the same but the, the maybe the relationships along the way would be different mm. so so that's been that's been really really interesting in in developing this which has been one of the the kind of initial things that i've done along with l and d colleagues across the globe is developing an, a, a a kind of a uniform message um of what good looks like um and that's pretty simple because we're talking about our relationships and our experiences with our candidates with our clients and then internally or, or the you know the experience with our colleagues so it's defining what good looks like taking the best out of, of everything and then you know making it fit for 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 global consumption mm.
0: You know, it's it's like they always say the devil's in the details, right? So um, absolutely. You know, when when you go out there and you look at all the different offices and you realize, well, actually, it's it's not just a cookie cutter approach. And as an engineer, I've always liked to say that that nothing ruins a perfectly good process like putting involving people in it. Um, <laughs> so they always, you know, we always Very tend true. to overcomplicate things with yeah yeah so. I mean, in, in that sense, I'm really fascinated. I've always been fascinated about the kind of cultural differences because, you know, as as someone who who is is really kind of you know in, involved in understanding human psychology, because you know, gamification is a a, a big element of. Mm. Of what we do um i I always you know always look at the different challenges of dealing with people in in different cultural environments and how they're motivated in different ways and and how they need to function in different ways i mean can can you give us some examples of of the big cultural kind of you know you talked about new york versus singapore and i I kind of already starting to see a picture emerge that kind of probably very brash like, like go go um, New York style with maybe a more res- respectable and reserved Singapore style emerging. But what were some of the big challenges that you faced from a cultural perspective?
1: From a cultural perspective, it's it's been interesting. The first thing that I would say that actually hasn't been a challenge is the absolute um, openness of the business, which I've been really lucky um, to, to witness, particularly post COVID, the openness of the business to open their doors and to share best practice and there is a real natural curiosity within my business to hear about what's going on in Sydney Singapore Thailand wherever it might be Um, we have offices kind of dotted all over the, the world and you know we've got hubs of real productivity and people are really curious to find out what's going on there how is that office doing so well? Why are they so profitable? Um, So the first thing that I did notice was that when we started bringing together, you know, the kind of the the learning and development collateral, it was that people were really curious to know what are they doing over there? Um, Mm -hmm. Which is a a great starting point. Um, From talking to, I suppose, the leaders on the ground, we would get an idea of what will and what won't work you know, as you said, for example, there are ways that we would maybe train our consultants um, in London or in New York, which just wouldn't be appropriate in, in, in other regions. And we would have a very much kind of model where we would have a, a shell of a model but then we will always test it on the ground and say, is that gonna work here? How's that gonna go down? We'd speak to local leaders and they'd say, no, we don't do that. That's not how we would approach a client negotiation, or that's not how we we approach a fee negotiation, whatever that might be, and then we we change it. So I don't think there's been any massive challenges in that sense. It's just Mm -hmm. about, as you said, the devil is in the detail, knowing that not everything is appropriate for every market. And, and making sure that it is fit for purpose as a result.
0: I mean, and, and as someone who's had to kind of navigate this complexity, how do, you, how do you know when something is culturally necessary versus when something is a behavior that's set in that it just isn't helping? And, and culture is maybe being used as a term to kind of justify it, but actually when you, when you cut through it and look at the kind of, of root, root cause, it's it's just kind of maybe behaviors that need to change and and not necessarily have anything to do with cultures
1: yeah it's 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 that that is interesting i think look at the end of the day our business is a relatively simple one it's not a technical business it's about people um Mm -hmm. we also have you know we're a big organization we're driven by data so People can turn around to me and say, my market's you know, very quiet. That won't work in my market. This isn't going to work over here. You know, take a step back, please. They might be able to tell me that. But you know, in the back of my mind, and, and maybe this is where my business experience might have helped, I'm well used to people saying, oh, that's not going to work. And this, this market is dead and there's no point in doing that. You know, we, we have data to back it up. So I would always say to people, okay, you're telling me that, but the reality is you haven't, you know, you haven't spoken to that group of people, you haven't done this, you haven't met those candidates, you haven't sent those CVs out, whatever it might be. It's very simple, I suppose, to to get under the bonnet of our business and to see what happens and correlate it to, you know, if you do X, Y, Z, this leads to success. It's a relatively simple, formula in in the world of recruitment Um, and there are certain things in every market that you need to do like you need to interview candidates you need to generate new candidates you need to be getting these candidates out to your clients and representing them in the market now if you're not doing enough of meeting your candidates or enough of talking to your clients there is definitely going to be problems with within your business Um, and sometimes that can just be fixed by doing more of the right things.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty much every single sales funnel, right? And and recruitment is no different. You need so so many people at the top of the funnel to ensure by the bottom of the funnel you're getting the results you need.
1: That's it. And you know, in a in a market like this at the moment, because the the economy is is, you know, it precarious in in some areas, it it's being able to look at that data and being agile. And that's, I think, a, a big function of what L&D are doing at the moment. You know, it, it's looking at how we can really, really partner with the business and go, OK, the market has slowed down. There's a lack of confidence, p- particularly amongst maybe the candidate population. Now, when there's a lack of confidence there, people don't move job. Jobs is frequent. Um, so there's less candidates coming in through the door. Um, we need to business develop more to get out there and, and to, to find new opportunities for our candidates. So L&D's role in this is rather than kind of sitting back and shaking our hands and saying, well, we, we've done our bit, we've trained our people in, it's really being agile and going, what's the market doing now? And how can we kind of future-proof people's careers by giving them the skills now for a market that's in a downturn? Um, and in six months time, if we're seeing things are picking up, giving them the skills that they need in order to be able to flourish in that market too.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, a, a great description you've given there of, of, you know, kind of really partnering with the business and understanding, you know, I've, uh, there's, there's always this kind of lovely um, image. I like to show people of this, these four people in this rowboat. And mm. two people are sitting at the front of it, like, scooping out water like there's no tomorrow because there's a big leak in the boat and the other two are sitting at the back of the boat going well i'm glad i'm not on their side <laughs> um, and um we we see that play out so brilliantly in in yeah. kind of organizations you know where where these kind of pockets or silos of of kind of, of functions are sitting and thinking well we've done our part brilliantly you know the the rest of the place is a dumpster fire but but we're we're yeah. okay because we've done what we need to do exactly um, yeah and and I just want to go back a bit because um, what I what I um, what I, one of the questions and maybe this is taking us back a little bit that something mm. you said earlier is, is kind of, of um, intriguing me is is obviously you know, your your organisation has got to a point where it's it's understood that this kind of almost decentralised um, learning and development that was happening kind of of very organically in offices mm. around the world needed yep. to be centralized. What, what was some of the kind of the, the, the key um, reasons or um, catalysts for the CEO and the chief people officer deciding now is the
1: time? I think probably a number of reasons in the sense that when I took on the role, I initially was looking after Europe, Middle East, Africa, um, and, and that region. And I think that we saw quite quickly the power of having one message to all of these people and being able to deliver a kind of a top-down message saying this is what good looks like. We also then saw how open people were to join training sessions from all across the world. And what a great opportunity we had to get our managing director in Paris on a webinar who could talk to people across Europe. Um, you know and we would all log on and um, whereas I think in the past we, we kept our training regionally and what you know they learned in Paris really stayed in Paris and we realized that as a global company there's this huge opportunity and and you know what a great opportunity to be able to say we've got the head of our Bangkok office who is going to give a presentation on how you know they leverage their candidate community and people in Dublin can log on and listen to this mm. um, and we realized really that the message across the globe was going to be the same so even though we had these kind of pockets and decentralized areas of people doing L&D really really well we could continue on like that but the opportunity was still there to go hey we if we join forces as a global business and we can really share our knowledge because that I think is a is a big part of what our L and D aspirations is. It's it's to share best practice across the globe. You know, we're we're a business, we're a well-established one, we have some we're doing some brilliant things across the globe. And what a shame if somebody doesn't know about it. Let's really just kind of blast those doors open and make sure that that everybody who can 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 join in and and listen to what's going on and learn from each other. Mm-hmm. I always call it, and it might sound a bit cheesy, but it's like a bit of a, a pay it forward culture. I think there's a real obligation for staff within Robert Walters like for people like myself who have all of this experience, you know, because recruitment again, you know, you have, you have peaks, you have troughs. Um, it's really helpful to talk to people who've been through it before because Mm. they know what to do. There are certain things that you go, okay, in a downturn, you know, you batten down the hatches and this is what you need to do to be successful. And to have that level of experience and and senior management around the globe, it would just be such a waste not to maximize that potential.
0: Mm. Right, so taking a slight left turn at Albuquerque here, I there's something else I think that's that's really um I'm really kind of of curious to get your your insights on is is a lot of people in the learning and development industry start in the learning and development industry um and and that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing it just it generally is um but I'm, I'm curious because you've come from you know a, a position where you're taking responsibility for the entire operational performance and success of an office a kind of a segment of the business and you've now stepped into this head of learning and development role mm. how yeah how how much of of your kind of experience your um your kind of of credibility that came from that managing director mm-hmm. role is is assisting in this kind of journey of, of being this learning and development person. And, and maybe to kind of reframe it slightly, is if they had brought someone in from the outside who had just come as a learning and development person into this role, how yeah. do you
1: think that it might have been different? It It's a really interesting question, Jason. I think for me, it, it was really, beneficial and advantageous for me to be able to step into this role because my stakeholders predominantly were my colleagues. So, you know, I knew that in order for this role to become successful, I needed to put my arms around the managing directors of the Robert Walters group across the world. And, you know, for me, the success of L&D rests hugely on how credible people in the business think it is. And I knew that people, being in the business twenty years, hopefully have have done a few good things along the way and 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 proved myself. And I knew that the MDs would have a level of comfort going, you know, well we know that the content of what they're going to produce is is great, um we know that Louise understands our business, Um so there was there was there was a huge advantage. And I I I won't lie, I felt really kind of as if it was a job that was almost tailor-made for me because all of my skills and everything that I knew I could take into this role. Now saying that, I had a huge amount to learn. So it wasn't easy street for me to, to walk into an L&D role, um, because I really then, I suppose, went from being in the front office of a business, and you know, you've got front office salespeople, very used to that environment, to, working with um the the group functions of the business now i've always thought group functions are extraordinarily important within any business and you know very much held my legal marketing hr and finance counsel close to my chest and had a great working relationship with them but i realized that when you are out of the front office business works quite differently within an organization as well mm-hmm. um, And I I had a huge amount to learn in terms of the frustrations that I had about the time that things took to get done. Um, Recruitment is a very quick, fast, uh, paced business where you you, you act and then you think sometimes. It was just, and it was very natural to me. Whereas moving into an L&D role took a lot of thought and preparation and listening to people and partnering with people and getting feedback and all of these things that I found fascinating but it it really slowed me down in my tracks and made me go I can't be slapdash about this and I can't just kind of act on a gut feeling like I had done in my previous role I really need to to have a strategy and a plan um and yes, the credibility that I bring to this role is going to help me, but there's a huge area for me to develop in now. And I need to get this right because otherwise it's 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 gonna fall apart. Mm. So I, I hope that answers it was beneficial, but at the same time I probably naively thought at the beginning it was going to be a bit easier than it was. Um mm. and I, I realized that I've I've a whole newfound respect. Um for, for you know group functions who work as a you know business partnering, uh, with multiple stakeholders internally within a business.
0: Well, I, I guess it's just a, a a managing director role in a, in another kind of guise or form, um, you know, because you you've got you've got all of the functions of a business. You know, you've you've got to market yeah. yourself, you've got to sell yourself into the business, you've got to operate efficiently, you've got to kind of of justify your existence, right.
1: Th- and that's how I see it, and um, mm. I I think that it's it's probably a good way to see it because I'm constantly, as you just said there, looking at how we justify ourselves. You know, I'm very aware of the fact, that learning and development. It's, you know, it's it, it's a cost. Um, we want mm. to make sure that we are are proving our worth at all times, and uh, you know, it's really important to me that the business sees us as a function that is very very aligned um knows exactly mm. what they're doing and is is able to work in sympathy with the business wherever the region is and, and whatever the the economic climate is
0: do you, uh, you you've, you've kind of talked about i think the the big dilemma for most central services functions is that they they see themselves as a cost center to the organization which which often ends up being synonymous with a phrase which I don't like, called the grudge purchase. You know, it's like, oh good lord, we have to use you know them again. Um, but do you do you often? I mean, do you, well, specifically? Do you do you see an opportunity or a scenario where you could become a a, a a profit center to the business, where you could like almost reframe what you're doing from being cost inducing to kind of profit generating? By, for instance, as an example, saying. You know since this this process has been put into the business we've seen the time it takes for a new new recruiter to become profitable going from say three or four months down to one or two months and therefore the revenue that that generates for the business is x and therefore we can show that as a revenue tag absolutely
1: and jason and I, i'm all about that because i think that within the world of recruitment my stakeholders that's what they love to hear Um, Mm -hmm. they want me to be able to say to them a new starter typically took four months before they made their first placement but you run them through our you know induction and our Academy and they're coming out the other end and we've reduced the the ramp up to profitability by two three four weeks Um, Mm -hmm. you know as a result of us and our wonderful management program the retention of management and the management population has increased within the organization we, we have um, We have just purchased an, an LMS, a learning management system. so our data at the moment, um, I, I have been collating it and hounding you know people for it in as much as possible. Um, we're, as I said, a relatively new function. that is something mm-hmm. that we're looking at in the future because I, I always think in any function you you want to be able to to prove the value of it. And to be able mm. to say to people, you know, the metrics that we're putting in place. And I think you have to be really careful with metrics, but the metrics that we're putting in place are looking at the the return on investment. Um, mm. I would love to also think, and we only spoke about this within our L&D team yesterday, that at some stage in the future, down the line, that the Robert Walters L&D team could potentially work with our clients. You know, we're we're. We've just brought in a, a really great onboarding experience for our new starters. Potentially, there's, there's an opportunity for us down the line to turn around to our clients and say, we've done it with it here. You know, do you need help doing it somewhere else? Um, so who knows? I think the future for, for learning and development is, is really exciting. I think the more mm-hmm. commercial that we are, and look maybe that's my business hat on me and i might be told absolutely not do not do that (laughs) l and d stays internally within the business (laughs) but you know i think i think a a a function like l and d should always look at things like that
0: i yeah i mean i I couldn't agree more and 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 it 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 might be a completely different business model but but I, i love that you're kind of thinking that way um yeah you know about and and again, I mean, I'm asking that because I think more people should think that way. I, mm. I think the biggest mm. challenge is that we often you know, kind of get complacent in the things that we're doing and, yeah. and don't challenge the status quo enough. Um, yeah. And learning and development and, and the reason that we're doing this podcast in the first place is that I think that learning and development is, is becoming almost that kind of key function in the business that does need... To be reframed, and and the, st- the the historical status quo does need to be challenged quite a bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. Saying that there's still deep insecurities inside of me when I go. Oh my God! When I when I speak to a, a learning and development professional who's been in the industry mm-hmm. a long time, and I sit there and I'm like, you know, we sometimes I feel as if we we speak different languages, and it's it's a learning curve that I'm still on, and I keep. Um, you know there, there's always going to be that little moment of panic where i go oh no i'm I, I, i'm i'm a fraud so I've, i'm bringing a, a business background but definitely on my list is to continue you know gaining more experience and, and knowledge and insight into more of a traditional lnd background
0: brilliant and and i wish you all the best because i think um it, it sounds like you're on a good trajectory there thank you final kind of of Um, in-depth question before we go to our our two closing Mm. questions i always like to ask is almost coming back full circle and you talked about communication skills and problem solving skills and you know kind of these these future kind of soft skills that are going to be required um, for for organizations to be successful and relevant as as this kind of industry starts to all our industries start to change with technology and then the fast pace of the way things are changing you also talked about your onboarding process and some kind of successes there. Um, have Have you got examples of how you've you've kind of, of brought the the kind of learning and development of these types of skills into into your organisation?
1: Interesting question. I think that um, we have certainly broadened out kind of within our onboarding. We have brought in. Number one, uh, a, a corporate welcome, which has become a global one, which is, is, is used all over the world now. One of the things that we, well, many, one of the many things we talk about in that is the expected behaviours um, and leadership behaviours that we expect within our business. And again, this is something that five, ten years ago, we, it's not something we touched on and we certainly didn't speak to new starters about, but we speak about our leaders. And the the expectation that we have of them to be able to lead with authenticity so that even as a new starter you'll come into the business and you should you know be able to see our values living and breathing from day one when you come in here we want our leaders to be to be authentic we want them to then lead with care which is we've got authenticity we've got care and when I talk about care it's people who have a genuine you know interest in people's well-being and um, whether that be their their education and their support or just their journey throughout their, their time with us and um, and then the last one is to lead with an entrepreneurial mindset so when we talk about that it's to have that those business practices and and really best practice from across the globe that we are aligning and bringing together so this is something that we have brought into our induction so this is week one it's something that we've brought into our recruitment skills program which is a three-week program which all new starters go through and this is is proving to be i think something that people are very interested in it's not just technical skills but again it's these new behaviors and new ways of communicating with people that we are are setting out our stall from the beginning to say this is this is the culture here this is how we expect Mm -hmm. people to behave and i think when you when you start like that and you mean to continue you, you know it may be a year it may be two years but cultural change will will come as a result
0: mm. brilliant I think yeah that's, that sounds exciting um yeah so the, the final two questions I always like to ask our guests on the show is um first one is is in the kind of context of kind of of giving um, imparting wisdom this journey of continuous learning and and i'm especially kind of excited because you've you've come from a a, quite a different background you know from kind of being a managing director coming into this learning and development space if if you were sitting across from someone who was you know new to the space kind of coming into this learning and development looking at at the kind of context of the world today um your experience what's the one piece of advice or nuggets of wisdom that you would give them
1: if they were coming into an the the learning and development space Mm -hmm. um i think the the most important thing in my role is to really really listen to your business and to listen to the feedback because you can have the best corporate induction in the world you can have the most beautiful programs that are laid out. If people are not engaging with them, they have failed and you have failed. And again, probably even across my, my short two year journey within l and D, I've made some dreadful mistakes where I've gone, up, this, this, this is a wonderful you know, training program. You know, I invited 50 people, maybe only eight showed up. Um, it wasn't a success. So therefore, it's, it's really listening to your stakeholders and going, am I doing everything that I can to make sure that people are engaging with this? Because if they're not engaging, it's worth nothing.
0: Well, there is therein lies one of those soft skills, active listening. Um, Very so true. definitely great advice. Um, second question is... Um, we always like someone to share something that's like, you know, a book or a podcast or something that you've seen, watched, heard recently that's had some kind of a, f- a profound effect or like reframed your thinking with the with the
1: audience. I There's a podcast, actually, that a friend of mine spoke to me about about four years ago and he said to me, you know what, I think you'd really like this podcast. And I've been listening to it almost every day since. I'm sure you know it. It's called The Moth. Mm hmm. Do you have you you know the moth um I know off, yeah. okay basically so you get everyday average people coming on and telling an everyday story it could be about anything um i absolutely love it i'm addicted to it and i think it's because i'm really interested in a human behavior but b i love the art of storytelling Uh, I find it absolutely fascinating how somebody can make a 10 or a 15-minute story out of something that is really banal. Um, It could take one person 30 seconds to say this and somebody else can bring out this rich and beautiful story and make it last for 10 minutes and make you laugh and cry at the same time. It's one of those things if I get 10 or 15 minutes a day, I will sit down, listen to a story, smile. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's the most educational thing in the world, but it always teaches me the importance of being able to tell a good story, to craft a good story, because again, this is so much part of, of L and D, but I think it's part of life as well. It's just something I really, really enjoy.
0: Yeah. And I mean it we've we've actually talked about storytelling with a few guests on the show. Um, yeah it is it is for me um, something that that just elevates and makes a huge difference in any type of interaction or engagement, yeah. (gasps) Mm. Um, All right, thank you, Luis. That was really, really insightful. Um, Love the conversation. Loved your kind of, of the unique insight that you brought into this conversation coming from yeah. a managing director into l and because often we talk about it from the opposite ways where yeah. more L&D people need to start behaving like many CEOs or managing directors and understanding that their environment is more than just a cost center or a silo in the organization but yeah. needs to be run with many of the same functions as a normal business it needs marketing it needs sales it needs yeah. it needs its own L&D you know so, so Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's been great to see you know kind of you having come from that side going into L&D being able to kind of almost reflect a lot of those um, same same kind of, of oh, patterns thank you. And, and thoughts
1: yeah well I've I've really enjoyed speaking to you and yeah I'm certainly learning every day making lots of mistakes along the way but but enjoying it thank you very much thank you Jason Hey,
0: thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Impact Learning Visionaries. If you found it interesting or helpful, please subscribe by clicking the button down below so you don't miss our next one. Also, be sure to check out our Reality Bytes blog for more information on how technology is aiding in learning development. Links are all in the description below. Go check it out. Thanks a lot, bye.